And it would be kind of like if you were watching the Super Bowl today, having been taped, and you heard the outcome, well, that that might impact how you view the game now because you already know the score, right? right? Maybe you wouldn't get as keyed up on certain parts because regardless of what happens, even when it's tied up and going into overtime, mm -hmm. you know you know the outcome. Welcome to this week's episode of The Follow-Up, where we recap this week's sermon so you can grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus. I'm here with Pastor Jack and Pastor Adam. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Carrie. Hi, Carrie. Hi. We're diving into Revelation chapter 19 today. You guys ready? Let's yeah, do it. Let's go. Okay, first question. What does the marriage supper of the Lamb signify for our relationship with Christ and the church's identity as his bride? I think you hit on both aspects. First is relationship. Second, identity. Anytime you eat together, even now, uh, there's something that's being said about those you're eating with as far as relationship and connection goes, and then identity. We're his bride. And when you look at a bride, you take on their name, you take on their family aspect. Um, what belonged to the groom now belongs to the bride as well. So there's a there's a uh, that identity and relationship piece as well as the celebration piece that the day has come. We've been talking a lot in almost 10 chapters of persecution and trial and struggle and temptation for the bride. Then we look at God stepping in and dealing with his enemies. And then we see that kind of what we call the engagement period. And, and now the, the wedding supper has come. So we, it's both of those aspects. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that aspect of, on one hand, we're seeing the culmination of God's justice and judgment for the enemies of God. And then looking at the marriage supper of the Lamb, the, the rejoicing that happens for God's people and realizing the full picture of God's redemptive plan to, to save us, to rescue us. And it's almost kind of like, you know, Psalm 23, where it says, he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Almost this picture of, here's, here's this grand celebration for us to enjoy even before uh, the enemy is is taken care of at the end. So for the followers of Jesus, there is something to look forward to. Love that. Question two, how might we ready ourselves for Christ's return individually and as a church community? The picture of the bride's outfit, I think, is really uh, telling mm -hmm. because, first of all, it's bright. And it's, the, in, a, in other words, it's clean. Mm -hmm. It's been prepared for the bride. It, first of all, it's given to the bride. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I look at First uh, John 1, 9, read it yesterday. Is, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Revelation tells us, 19, that, 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 that dress that's put on is a dress that is the righteousness of God's people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he gives us the righteousness, but we choose to put it on. So we choose to dress. So I think it, it, that, that gives us the picture of how we prepare ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think with that, Jack, just that confidence that, you know, like Isaiah 61 says, that um, God clothes us in his righteousness. Mm -hmm. He makes a comparison there between the bridegroom and the bride, as far as like the bride with the jewels, the, the righteousness of God. So there is the aspect of what God has done for us through Christ that cleanses us, that removes our sin. Um, what we would say is justification, you know, that picture of being made right uh, before God through Christ. And then, like Jack was saying as well, you know, the act that we do in becoming more like Jesus, um, that aspect of um, righteousness and looking more like Christ. And the hope that we have at the end of the day is that none of us are going to stand before God with something that is marred or some dirt or somehow not ready before God's sight. Mm -hmm. 
that his bride, the church, the people of God are going to be made fully righteous before God. And so we don't have to shrink away from him. There is a reason to celebrate and to look forward to his appearance and being with him. Yeah. I still like the picture of it's not a passive act on behalf of the bride. Mm. Like there is a putting on right. uh, through scripture. One of the things I looked at is how many times the scripture talked about, talk about putting on, I think it was 25 or 27 verses where the challenge isn't that God dresses us. We're not two year olds. Mm -hmm. You know, but there is a putting on that we do. Like there is an active and non-passive part yeah. uh, on behalf of the bride, on, on our part mm -hmm. of, of living out and putting on that righteousness. Mm -hmm. He provides it. We can't do it in ourselves. We're right. not the, the, right. the picture of perfection, the perfect sacrifice, but we do choose to take it and put it on. That God right. jersey in comparison, right. you know, to the other team. Right. Yeah. There, there is that aspect where it does have to be personal response. Mm -hmm. So this hope is not just for everybody it's for everybody that puts their trust in jesus mm -hmm. right so we're not just talking about a general hope we're talking about a specific hope yeah. that is through christ and um and then the reason for rejoicing and i think even you know tying that back that marriage supper of the lamb that goes back to even jesus uh in luke saying that he's not gonna partake of the vine again until the cool. kingdom of god so there is something even though we've been talking about symbolic language for someone that might say well is this just symbolic as well well the fact that jesus refers to you know the the the, the cup of the vine that he's going to participate in that the actual that, yeah, yeah. that there is something that hey we are going to enjoy food yes yeah. again really good food right looking forward to that be, I'm, oh, I'm looking <laughs> forward to that too question three what lessons do does the battle of good versus evil in revelation 19 teach about god's ultimate triumph you want to go first on that one yeah, I think uh, really we're seeing the, the, the ultimate picture of what it all boils down to. And for, for us, you know, it, it can seem like just like this tug of war that's been happening through all of history. But there is a final point where it is done, where evil is judged, and it's never going to rise up again, where the victory is definitive, it's final, Christ has secured it, good overcomes, God prevails through Christ, and the fact that all who put their trust in him can participate and be a part uh, of that victory. So it gives real hope right now, but not only hope, how does that drive our faithfulness knowing the outcome ahead of time. And it would be kind of like if you were watching the Super Bowl today, having been taped, and you heard the outcome, mm -hmm. well, that that might impact how you view the game now because you already know the score, right? right? Maybe you wouldn't get as keyed up on certain parts because mm -hmm. regardless of what happens, even when it's tied up and going into overtime, mm -hmm. you know you know the outcome. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to get more riled up than you need to and you're already prepared for what you know is certain, so. Yeah, I look at, we know the outcome because we know the king. I love the picture of, of the, God coming in with the armies of heaven behind him, king of kings, lord of lords on a thigh. I mean, he is, it, it is clear who he is. This is not a yin and a yang where it's like <clears throat> the darkness and the light are 50-50 or like the bad guys, good guys have even power. No, right. this, is, this is very one-sided. Right. And when God speaks and when he intervenes, it's over. Right. And there's not a vote on it and there's not a veto. It is one authority and one power. So when we think of good versus evil, it is big good <laughs> and, yeah. and little evil. Yeah, we're in yeah. a fallen world and this isn't, this isn't heaven. 
And yet at the same time, we know the king over it all. Yeah. Uh, so that, I, that for me, when you talk about that good versus evil battle, it'll change a lot of the way you think if you remember the, 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 the pre-recorded game. We know the end. And we're, we're not there. We're not to Revelation right. 22 yet. But right. we know how this thing ends. We've got to hold on to that in the persecution and the struggle and the temptation because we know the one in all authority. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that picture too, that it, it's not just Jesus comes back with a sword, yeah. right? Yep. It's not Jesus swinging that thing away. It's the sword of his mouth. Yeah. And so it's not even by his might and there's physically something happening on Jesus just speaks and, mm-hmm. and it's game over. Yeah. Right. Question four, how do Jesus's titles in this chapter enhance our grasp of his divine authority? I'll start with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is, there is, there's no higher authority. There's none. You cannot go above the one who is of King of Kings. Like yeah. everything falls under his authority. Same with the, that title of Lord. But, and, and I even love backing up earlier where it talks about, you know, it says he is man of justice and truth and the, the of many crowns, which once again is power and authority. So he, it's this, this picture of who he is in power is also in power and right and truth and just. So you, you got to put him at the top of the food chain with each of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, too, we can, we can become somewhat immune to titles because, you know, we live in a time when a title can just be slapped mm-hmm. on something or someone can just declare themselves as something and it, they don't live up to the title. But here with Jesus, we see the, the, that he is who he says he is. And we see it not only in um, how it is expressed, but how it is lived out, you know, that he has um, the authority. And with, like Jack was saying, the, the justice, the purity, the righteousness, the, um, the, the authority, not only over all of heaven, the armies of heaven and all that dwell with God, but also authority over evil that he he is the one that conquers evil. Take it back to Jesus on earth. Demons, out. Sickness, healed. Mm-hmm. Uh, power and authority, he's before Herod. You know, you're talking about the greatest empire in the history of the world. Some people still consider it that. And yet he says, you have no authority unless my father gave it to you. So, you know, it's almost like, yeah. right. <laughs> he, 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 right. even in bodily form, coming as the lamb, yeah. Yeah. the sacrifice mm-hmm. It was a choice. He was still in authority, power, and control yeah. through the whole process. Yeah. Well, even that, even that detail, just a little tidbit. You know, when they go to arrest him, and it's like, oh, who yeah, are you looking yeah, for? Yeah. You know, yeah. looking for Jesus, and you know, where he says, "I am," and they all fall down. down. They go. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine being those guys? We're gonna go arrest this guy. Mm-hmm. He says his name. They fall down, and now you have to pick yourself back up, and and then he asks bring this again. bring this guy in. <laughs> Let's try this again. um, This has never happened before. So again, the authority of Jesus, um, so significant. Mm -hmm. Last question in this section. In light of Revelation 19, how can we embody the hope of God's kingdom in our daily lives? A little more practical. Yeah, I think think a big one is... um, Just practically speaking, we are so privy to so much information, you know, through the internet, 
through word of mouth. Um, and, and we can, we can hear something that someone else has told us based on something they saw on the internet. I think at the end of the day to rest in the truth of God's word and the authority of what Christ has, has done so that we not get swayed by all the other arguments and little things that, um, that can get us stirred up, get us emotional, um, thinking about what happens if our mm-hmm. person doesn't get into office, what happens if, you know, this piece of legislation goes through, we can get so worked up. And at the end of the day, as we look at within this passage, within Revelation, what we see happening with a beast and how the beast is given authority and the question in Revelation 13, who's like the beast, who can wage war against the beast? Revelation 19, Jesus can. And Jesus is going to kick the beast's tail, mm-hmm. you know, and it's going to be no contest. And, and so just to rest in Jesus, to cling to his word more than we cling to maybe a certain news article or organization or anything else, just to be a people uh, of the word and practically living that out. Yeah. I had a conversation Saturday night right before service with someone. It was a really good conversation. And, and to Adam's point, the fact of who Christ is, the authority of who, who he says he is, no matter what the circumstance, that's the engine on the train and our feelings are the caboose. Mm-hmm. No matter how you feel about it, let, let the fact of who Christ is and, and the glory of God be, be the, the engine on the train. Mm-hmm. I also, because even the feeling side, there, you, when you read the uh, verses 1 through 10 of 19, that word hallelujah that's used over and over again is in it literally translates from halal the in the original language to to spin to jump around to act clamorously and this is the process of seeing the victory starting to happen mm-hmm. so they, they don't wait till the end of the fight before they start they're starting to celebrate so we can celebrate and hold on to what's what's driving what's driving the car and that's who god who christ is what god has said in authority and the second piece i would say is r- remember that there is an enemy Mm-hmm. On our, uh, mm-hmm. against us and if 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 you are ready willing and able to embrace the prostitute that we talked about the week before man it doesn't go well so be careful of the lust of the flesh lust of the eye and the pride of life those all surround us mm-hmm. and they're all about us you talk about a practical sense uh when we're looking to satisfy us it's easy to lean into those three mm-hmm. there's a surrender there and there's a, there's a piece of the sacrifice that we've read about the bride all through this for her groom, mm-hmm. you know, and we've got a groom who's crazy about us, right. but, but as far as living it out, remember that the battle is real and, and it's still today, but also hold on to what should be driving the train. And that's who Christ is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So next we're going to be transitioning into a question from the congregation. Remember that you can submit your questions to be featured on the show. You can email us at social at spring and we'll maybe answer it yeah. here live. Okay, so this question, it says, considering the heavy imagery and symbolism in Revelation, could the battle between the rider and the white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth and his army and the armies of the enemies of God be a spiritual battle? The sword, as God's word and truth, would be dismantling the weapons of the enemy, the lies, deception, or what, or et cetera, that he uses. I think there's a no-brainer aspect there. I mean... It, when Paul goes through the the weapons of our warfare, it's not carnal but spiritual to the pulling down of strongholds. Mm-hmm. The sword of the spirit, you know, which is the word of truth. Uh, it's the same. Yeah, we've got the same picture, same language going on here. That it's it's the, it's the word of God. It's the it's the word of truth. So it it is a tool for our spiritual battle. It is 
the truth. And how many times when Jesus himself was going through the temptations, how he answers with, it's written. Like, how do we overcome the enemy? In Christ's life on earth, in the spirit, in our spiritual battles, in end times, it's it's the word of truth. It's the sword of the spirit. So there is the battle that overcomes in, in, in the spiritual sense. Uh, we're going to see the kingdoms of this world in this world topple in the future. But I think there is a picture for us today of, yeah, this is the spiritual battle and this is how you win. Yeah. I, I do think there may be some parallels in there. I do think that revelation 19 is leading kind of that final aspect of it so that it's not just symbolic in the sense of this is what's happening throughout all of church history. I think this is really keying in on the finality of it, of Jesus coming back because all of the, the spiritual truths or sim- symbolism is reflective of realities that, that are happening. And so with it, you know, announcing Jesus as the one on the white horse, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the yeah. one with the iron scepter, the one who's going to bring all nations into submission. I think there is this final moment that with his word that um, that it's all over. So I don't think that it's symbolic in the sense of this is going to be something that is just ongoing or it's a picture of us today. I think it's keyed in on Jesus and his final victory and the victory that we share. Because it's really interesting, even as you look at kind of the comparison between how the armies of heaven are dressed and the bride, it's similar. We're all wearing kind of the same thing, fine linens, bright and clean. Um, and, And so I think there is this finality to it. And practically, you know, how that lives out, I do think, you know, as we look at the authority of God's word, holding to God's word, um, being disciplined in our thinking, in the way that we live, practically that's how we live it out until that final moment, whether it's the return of Jesus then or it's our final breath, yeah. right? One way or another um, that we live faithfully until that point. Yeah, but the writer gets to have a robe dipped in blood. I mean, that's that's pretty bad. When yes, you're into the scene. yes, he does. Yeah, but I, he, he, he earned it. He earned it. <laughs> yes, he, he did. He deserved it. Yeah. You know, through his own blood. You know, the picture of uh, of his sacrifice yep. on our behalf. And so that is ultimately uh, what gives him. Uh, I mean, he always had the authority, but as far as through his blood to redeem a people for himself. Uh, through his blood and to share that victory with those that he's redeemed. So. I still I still lean into two things, and it goes back to one of the questions earlier, and, and this one is the carnage of this last scene. Yeah. This is this it leaves no doubt for who wins, and then right. calling the birds in for the feast of God. The feast right. of God is like them being able to not only devour, but this is like a buffet. Right. Um, to where they gorge themselves. Right. So this picture, and yes, I do believe in a battle in the end times. I do believe in the return of Christ and that there is yeah. a, a literal going on here. But I also see it as a picture for our battle today and, and the power and the authority of the word and the sword. Yeah. But understanding that, that that battle is so final. Yeah. Like there, there will be no doubt yeah. to the enemies of God that they have been destroyed. It is, it is not, no death by sword is pretty. It is bloody and it is messy, and the enemies for all the the uh, the oppression, persecution, temptation that they've put on the church, they're paying for it. Right. Well, and and that's where I thought too that it's so interesting in the description of when the birds are summoned. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it's it's actually before 
the battle. Yes, it and is. So, yep. you know, we get into that language and it's so graphic to think of birds feasting on, on people. It's like, oh, that's, that's really yeah, gross. That's, in the, the, napkin that, that's, in, the, that's in the Bible, starts. but it's yeah. like a picture of like a post-war reality as bodies mm -hmm. are strewn, yep. strewn and, you know, the birds would naturally feed on, on, on the carcasses. Um, but the birds are summoned before the battle. So it's almost like, Hey, this, this battle is already over before it began. Birds, mm -hmm. birds get ready. And, mm -hmm. you know, downtown, we kind of compared it to Babe Ruth walking up to the plate, pointing to left field mm -hmm. before the pitch even came in. Like this one's going over the fence mm -hmm. and the victory of Jesus is even more certain. Like right. get, get the birds now because yeah. this thing, this thing yeah. is over, you know, and then it, it goes into judgment and those, those pictures, you know, it's, it's difficult, you know, for us to kind of grapple with, uh, that eternal aspect of God's judgment. And yet that's where, man, we continue to point to the hope of Jesus, his grace, receive his grace mm -hmm. now, receive yeah. his forgiveness now so that you don't have to experience that. You can experience the joy of the, the reception, the wedding, being with God forever. Well, thank you guys for joining us for this week's episode of The Follow-Up. If you are not already subscribed, make sure you go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube, channels, YouTube channel so you never miss out on an episode when it premieres. We'll see you guys next week.